are you ready? Fights. Crazy numbers we're doing. That's, Brag, 
pretty. What do you think about that? That's pretty. That's pretty darn good. And of course, if you're longtime listeners of our show, The Ultimate Fight Show, you'll know that uh, we're right a lot more than we are wrong. We we're not perfect. We don't claim to be, but we're pretty sure of it. Absolutely. I mean, we've consistently for five years now hit 80% in boxing and MMA with our picks. And again, unlike football, basketball, all those other sports, you don't play fighting, you fight. So anyone can win, even favorites can lose, as we saw when Chocolatito lost his 48-0 record. Uh, he was a 25-1 to favorite that night. That was one of the, <laughs> that's one of our two losses. So it doesn't happen that often. No, it doesn't. And, you know, I, we could say that that was a little bit of a controversial decision. Um, I'm not going to go that far. I'll just say that, hey, we missed that one. Uh, didn't see it coming. But, you know, like we always say, it's we, we look at it, and uh, one of the biggest criticisms we've always gotten on this show is that we don't argue so much. We don't disagree like many of these shop radio shows and a lot of these co- – uh, shows try to do. We're here to inform you. We're here. We want to entertain you, but we also want to inform you and ed- educate you and give you the proper information you need when you go out and place your bets and make your picks. And that's why we're right more than we are wrong. You're not going to hear us disagree a whole lot because, well, let's just face it, we know what we're talking about. Absolutely. And I mean, it's an organic show, whereas, you know, you watch First Take or some of these shows on that are on TV, those are scripted guys. Those are, they, they, they tell one of them to, to argue from the opposite opinion to create, you know, good. And that's cool for TV. But when you're trying to listen to a show, you just want facts. Okay. We, we're going to cut through the BS. So let's get back to UFC 208 where we went perfect with the three big fights on this card. Just really, really Good stuff. So let's start with Gegard Mousasi. Controversial win over Chris Weidman. Bragg, Weidman hasn't looked the same since the Luke Rockhold fight. I picked against him. So did you. We both liked Mousasi to get things done in the second round by submission. He did it by knockout in kind of a interesting, peculiar manner. You want to break Tell the fans a little bit about what happened in that fight with the referee and the stoppage and the new rule change in New York. Yeah, absolutely. The unified rules have now stated that whereas before you can't put a down component, a down opponent, of course, you can't knee to the head of a down opponent. Uh, you aren't allowed to, you used to be allowed to put that one finger down on the ground. You're considered a down opponent. That's three points of contact on the ground. Um, that's no longer the case. You could not just put your tip of your finger on the mat and be considered a downed opponent. Now, Masasi had uh, been in somewhat of like a front face lock. They were grappling a little bit. He was really able to lift him up. And the replay showed it wasn't very clear, but it was a legal strike. Uh, at first, it was stopped. I believe, I want to think it was Dan Migliotta was the referee, uh, if I'm not mistaken. But he, uh, and who, who is a great referee, of course, a friend of the show, he, he called the timeout. They did the right thing. You know, he checked on the fighters. He went, they went and looked at the video and saw it and got confirmation that, hey, you know what, that was a legal knee. At that point, Weidman, at first, Weidman had said, I don't know if I can continue. 
you know, mm-hmm. I'm hurt. When Mirkulana came back and said, no, that was a legal knee, can you continue? Weidman jumped up and said, yeah, I'm fine, I can continue. The doctor said no. They ended up stopping the fight. Masasi was awarded the uh, TKO victory. Very controversial. Uh, these new rules, it hasn't been, or- as you like to say, organic. Uh, a lot of these uh, decisions and a lot of these uh, rule changes have been a little a little controversial, a little different. Uh, but I will say that they did get it right. They did make the right call. I don't think it was going to matter. Masasi was picking Weidman apart at that point. Masasi has been on a tear. Weidman has not been the same fighter as he was when he beat Anderson Silva um, twice, both of which I thought were flukes. But nonetheless, uh, Gegard Masasi um, moves on and really puts himself in line for a title shot. And more, and more importantly, Bragg, I thought that Musasi, the build up, up to the fight, for those of you that are listening to the show and not in the know, Musasi had a, a, a strained relationship with the UFC. Not only was he, did he used to be promoted and his best friends with Fedor Emelianenko, and they've had trouble with that, you know, with Emelianenko's group coming over, getting him to come over to the UFC. Musasi was able to do it. But again, ideal. This was the last fight on his contract. So now Musasi is essentially a free agent with five wins in a row, and arguably is next in line for a title shot at middleweight. So he put a lot on the line in this fight, and it paid off in spades for him. So, you know, I got to tip my hat to Musasi because a lot of people thought that he should have renegotiated his contract, or that maybe. You know, him speaking ill of Dana White and the Reebok deal was going to have some, was going to hurt his negotiating position after this fight because win or lose. And he stuck to his guns, and I think he's going to be in a really favorable position, be the number one free agent in the world. Oh, yeah, I think he's got to be at this point. And I tell you, Bellator is making a push for a lot of these big name fighters a lot of the top talent. So if the UFC doesn't want to let one of these one of the top guys in the world slip through their fingers, they better uh, step up and make Masasi a deal. I have not heard that they have uh, renegotiated or signed a new deal yet. But you know, Masasi is a guy that he could step right into Bellator, uh, become a fish, big fish, and a little bit of a smaller pond at this point, and make some noise there. So. Uh, Billy, you're going to be interested to see how this plays out. But nonetheless, Masasi has uh, been very impressive. He's finishing fights. And to me, he is well in line for a title shot. And he, depending on who he would fight for that, could very well be the favorite going in. Absolutely. He even brought that point up. If you remember before the White Weedman fight, he's like, you know, I'm making twenty five, thirty thousand a fight, and he's like, honestly, if I was fighting Bisbing, I would be favored. And he's probably mm-hmm. right. You know, absolutely. So, uh, moving uh, on another note, side note for Bellator, we at the Ultimate Fight Show have now made some new contacts with Bellator, and I actually spoke to one of their press guys, and we're gonna have access to almost their entire roster now for interviews coming up. So things are going to start getting real interesting here 
at the Ultimate Fight Show. So stay tuned. Tell your friends. But uh, I expect by summer and fall for us to have an interview maybe every single episode. So it's going to be, uh, you know, we got some really good news with that. Let's move on, Bragg, to the main event. DC against Rumble. Rematch. Both you and I like Cormier to get the job done. We thought that I thought he would get it done in two rounds. I think you said that you thought it would go three, maybe, or or the distance. I wasn't sure. I, I can't remember my notes, but either way, first round, he comes out. Johnson comes out and does something completely unorthodox and tries to take down arguably the best wrestler in MMA. Does is able to break Cormier's nose. Wins the first round, but, you know, in the second round, D.C. started doing what he needed to do. I think Rumble kind of wore himself out, and D.C. was able to get in there and get the submission and, and get the W. And then afterwards, Rumble retires from the sport. Bragg, what did you make about D.C.'s performance and then what happened afterwards with Rumble? Well, first of all, Cormier, uh, congratulations to him for getting the victory. Uh it, he, he did what he had to do. He, he weathered the storm. He showed a lot of toughness. Um, and he, he was a tr- little bit in trouble at first. I was able to survive it, get through it, and overcome it the second round. Anthony Johnson, those cardio issues caught up with him again. Uh, DC was able to wear him down in that second round and finish him off. But we've said it before. When fighters talk about retiring – when they are generally one foot out the ring or one foot out the cage, it, it doesn't really usually bode well for those that fighter. Now, Johnson had not publicly announced that this was his last fight or he was planning to retire, but he had made up his mind beforehand. So whether that played on his mindset or not, I don't know. I can only speculate, but by watching it, it didn't look like his heart was in there. Uh it was a weird situation. His corner was very upset with him for the strategy he was trying to implore in the fight and during the fight. Uh, very, very disappointed. He called for his corner to come into the cage during the, during the post-game, post-fight interview. They, they refused to go in. They had walked away. So a uh, very disappointed, very sad end for Anthony Johnson's career, if that is indeed the case. But uh, Daniel Cormier uh, looks like he's going to be moving on now to fight John Jones in the late summer. And boy, what a fight that's going to be. Yes, absolutely. Cormier is a different fighter. He has evolved a little bit. Uh, I And, of course, what are we going to get with John Jones? Who knows? Uh, could this be his last chance if he messes up outside the octagon again? Is this it for John Jones? Who knows? Uh, but coming off of a layoff, it's going to be a very, very interesting fight. Um, now, there are talks as well, and I'm for some reason my mind is slipping, but uh, there is an alternate for Daniel Cormier to fight. Yeah, I believe it was um, Jimmy it's, Manawa, uh, maybe? Man- Manawa. Yes. Yes, he yeah. is going to be, if John Jones is not get, does not get cleared and is not able to take that fight in the summer, Jimmy Manawa will get the title shot with Daniel Cormier, which good for Jimmy Manawa. Let him get his payday, but I don't see it ending well for him in that fight. No, I don't think so. And I, and I would venture to say that 
depending on what tape is leaked and what kind of shape John Jones looks in training, DC might be the favorite in that fight or very close to even money. And you said it best. DC's a different fighter now. He's been in there. He's taken the John Jones test, so to speak. So he's a smart guy. He's a cerebral guy. He probably will have a game plan that will be different from the first one that will give him a better chance to win. So John Jones better bring his A game if, in fact, he's going to come right from, you know, two years off to fighting one of the top three fighters in the world. It's going to be interesting. Let's not forget the fact, too, you're talking about D.C. as a different fighter. His confidence has to be at a high right now. He's taken – he has beaten Anthony Johnson. He's taken his shots from Anthony Johnson, who is arguably or possibly the hardest hitter in the sport today. Uh, he was able to – well, it wasn't pretty. He was able to fight Anderson Silva on two days' notice. I mean, regardless, that's got to be a confidence boost there. So, Gustafson. yeah, I'm really he, – he's beat Gustafson as well, who took John Jones to the limit. So, Daniel Cormier, his mindset is different. He's matured a little more. He's evolved as a fighter. I, I would not doubt it one bit that he's going to be the favorite coming into this fight um, at first. Now, will it be that way at the, tight, at the t- fight time? Who knows? Uh, I'm sure we'll discuss that at length when it when it happens. But uh, Daniel Cormier and John Jones is a much more interesting fight this summer than I honestly thought it would be. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about what happened last week with UFC Fight Night Johnson, or two weeks ago, when Darius Mighty Mouse Johnson showed while he is the best fighter in the world and defeated Wilson Ray's with a just an, a a complete well-rounded, dominant performance, 135 strikes to 18. And after he was busted up, after Wilson had nothing left, he slapped on the arm bar just to add insult to injury. Um, Is Mighty Mouse the best fighter on the planet? Yes, pound for pound he is. I don't think there's any question at this point. Now, to follow that up, because Demetrius Johnson has again been vocal about his place in the UFC, that he wants those big million-dollar paydays, that he's gone out on the limb and said that he feels that he, no disrespect to John Jones or George St. Pierre or Anderson Silva, but Demetrius is the greatest champion the UFC has ever produced. Bragg, what would you say to that, in your opinion? Well, it's, it's hard to argue the numbers strictly because he tied the record that, John, uh, that Anderson Silva set in the next fight he'll – um, be attempting to pass it as far as the, ti- the number of title defenses um, that he's had. Every, anybody he's, you've put in front of him, he's beaten. Uh, and very few times, I can only think of twice at the top of my head, he's actually been challenged in those fights. He, he's a guy who keeps getting better and better. He is evolving. There's talk of him moving up to fight uh, – to, for a super fight at the uh, 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 bantamweight, yes, um, you know, which would definitely uh, be an interesting uh, fight for him. I, he's done everything that's been asked of him, and he's done it in a dominant fashion. I, I can't see where you can argue with that. Now, the other side of those numbers are the fans. Uh, some of his pay-per-views that he has headlined – 
have been the lowest rated pay-per-views with the or lowest number of buys over the last few years. He doesn't sell tickets or pay-per-views like John Jones, like Anderson Silva did, like George St. Pierre did. And I don't think anybody is going to because the sport as a whole, the, the landscape of the sport as a whole is just so much different. So it's an apples to oranges comparison, but Demetrius Johnson, he's passed every test. He's passed the eyeball test. He's passed every test that's put in front of him in the octagon. He's a good guy. That's, a lot of people don't look at that either, but he doesn't get himself in any trouble. You never hear of anything controversial about him. Uh, he, you know, he does. He's the plays the charity role. Well, he's a well-spoken guy. He's a guy that can go out do media for you. He's not going to embarrass you as a company. I think he probably deserves a lot more credit than he gets. And if I were the UFC, I'm not sure of his contract status, but if I were the UFC, he is a guy I would make sure does not get away from them. Yeah. I mean, a lot of things to digest there. I'll just, for time's sake, just give you my opinion real quick. I think Demetrius Johnson is the most dominant single division champion. I would say him and Anderson Silva are tied. And once he fights his next fight and breaks it, again, the numbers don't lie. Now, you can make a case that Anderson Silva fought much tougher competition than Demetrius Johnson. I mean, if we look at his resume, the only two names on there in his division that he's beat is Ben Vadiaz and Henry uh, Cahuto. Everybody else on that on that list, although they're good, they're not household names or names that most people would know. Whereas, you know, John Jones and Anderson Silva and George St. Pierre beat people that everybody knows. So I can see the argument against him there. Um, he did fight at 135 pounds and compiled a record of 14 and two. Those two losses were to Brad Pickett by decision and Dominic Cruz by, by split decision. So you could make a case that, he could have gone that at 14 and two, he showed that he could compete at 135 pounds. They created a division for this guy, you know, much yeah. the same way they did for Ronda. So I think when you create a division that didn't exist before that takes away a little bit from his legacy. He, he didn't, he didn't win in the traditional division. They had to make a new one for him. So do I think that his career has, been fantastic. Absolutely. He's a, he's a company man. He, like you said, never going to embarrass you. You never have to worry about DJ, but at the same time, I think that those lack of drama, lack of a competition and the super fights are why he's not where he should be with his dollars or with his fans. And I think that him taking on the winner of Dillashaw and Cody Gambrin after the dust up on the fighter is done. That could be a huge fight for him. Or if he wants to avenge a loss to Brad Pickett, didn't Brad Pickett retire in his last fight? Brad, Brad Pickett retired. I think the money fight is with Dominic Cruz. Yeah. But I'm saying, I bet you, I bet you that they could convince Brad Pickett to come out of a retirement. Cause he just retired like three months ago. I bet you if they were like, Hey, we're going to throw you a quarter million or 200 grand to fight. Demetrius Johnson, and then that way he can get acclimated to 35 before he jumps in there with Cruz or whatever. Um, 
maybe you could see something like that happen. But Demetrius Johnson, as far as I'm concerned, has no more competition at 125. I understand staying there for one more fight to, to break the record. I think anybody would do that. But after his next fight at 125, I think he needs to leave that division. And I agree. I, I agree 100%. I, there's nothing else for him but to accomplish. I think he he he's done everything. He's Like I said, he's been asked and has said he was going to do. Uh, the biggest question is, who is this last fight against? Who who does he fight to break the record? Yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's hard to say there. They're trying to scramble for an opponent now. But um, and just one more thing. Demetrius Johnson said that he would even be willing to fight Connor in a super fight if they paid him a million bucks. Demetrius, you're awesome, dude, but you are not going to beat Connor McGregor. You, you're outweighed by about 30 pounds in that fight, and your chin isn't going to handle those shots. So, listen, don't, don't say that again, dude. <laughs> it, it, make, it makes him sound like he doesn't know fighting and this guy does nothing but fight so I think that was more just to get people's attention but trust me he has no intention of fighting Connor um, no, not one, no. We, we spent a lot of time on this but real quick give me, give me a few words to sum up the shock that you felt when Robert Whitaker knocked out Jacare in the second round oh yeah, that was uh, hey, it, you know, a star-making performance. I mean, Jacare has been on a tear. He's been a guy. I, you know, I was looking at possibly him and um, Gegard to fight again uh, yeah. for a chance at the title. I mean, he he beat Gegard Basasi actually uh, back in mm-hmm. 2014. Uh, he had just beaten Vidor Belfort and Tim Bosch. Uh, by TKO and submission. He lost to Yoel Romero, who is in line for a title shot, man. Robert Whitaker puts himself right up there in the conversation. That middleweight division is stacked right now, man. It's, it is a whole lot of fun to watch. It's, it's a bit of a uh, roadblock right now that you got GSP and Michael Bisping set to fight. But once that, once that business gets cleared away, I, it's, it's going to open a lot, a lot of doors for a lot of really good, really big fights in the next year or so. Yeah, the, the middleweight division is becoming how the light heavyweight division was a few years ago after uh, Chuck Liddell got knocked out and then the title started changing hands and then Jim Jones eventually emerged as the guy. So you could see the same thing. You know, Anderson Silva loses two, three years ago and there's kind of been a shuffling still and – now that the dust is settled, you get Michael Bisbing. No, no disrespect, but probably the weakest champion in any division in the UFC right now. And I feel like he's just a gatekeeper. He's holding that belt for the next star, whether that's going to be GSP, Musasi, uh, Romero, Rockhold, one of them. It's not staying with Bisbing. That's the one thing I know for sure. Um, no, not at all. And that's one thing we mentioned um, on our at the first of the year when we did our factor fishing segment. You know, yeah. who, who will be who will be champion? You and I both agreed 100% that Michael Bisbing would not be champion at the end of the year. Just a real quick uh, note on Robert Whitaker. Uh, he has won mm-hmm. two, three, four, five, six, 
seven in a row. His last loss was to Stephen Wonderboy Thompson back in February of 2014. Uh, among those wins have been Uriah Hall, uh, Rafael Natal, and Derek Brunson, who he knocked out uh, back in November. So he's got back-to-back uh, knockouts by head kick, by the way, um, over two uh, big, strong guys of that division. So uh, Robert Whitaker, look out. He's on his way. Yeah, and, and and another thing too, like you, I forgot about the Wonder Boy fight. But when he when Whitaker first started, he was fighting at 170. Now that he's moved yes. up to 185, he's knocking people out. I think that this is one of those guys who, you know, when he added the extra weight, his natural power is starting to come out now, and we're going to see a lot a lot from this kid moving forward. All right, let's get into the uh, Cub Swanson. Artem Loboff fight from last week. But first, talk a little bit about the card. Bragg, I was a little shocked. You had Mike Perry beat Ellenberger. You had Stevie Ray beat Joe Lauzon in a great fight. Dotson beat Wyland. Ovin St. Pru won. And then we get to the Aliquinta Diego Sanchez fight. Wow. Did you think that it was going to go down like that? Not at all. I, you know, Al Quinn is a guy, he'd been off for, what, two years, I think? I don't think he's fought in close to two years. He's a guy I really yeah. forgot about, and I didn't really give a lot of credit to him at all. I was, I've never been overly impressed with him, but he looks like a different fighter. He looks like a guy on a mission. Um, now, Diego Sanchez, let's face it, as, as great as he was and as fun as he always is to watch, he always brings it, but he's done. Diego Sanchez as a fighter is done. Uh, no, no, no bones about it. I don't think there's any question. He's not half the fighter he was before. But Ally Quinta went in there, took care of business quickly, um, and has set himself up for, you know, another win or two. He could put himself in line uh, for a top five fight at light, lightweight. Yeah, I, I would say under normal circumstances, yes. But I don't know if you read today of him calling out Dana White. He basically called Dana White, and I quote, a fucking moron. This guy has never fought ever in his life, and he's talking about I, – I, apparently this goes back to the Brooklyn, to the UFC event where Dana White was quoted saying that the best part of the night was the trip – was his flight back to Vegas. And Aliquinta, who's from New York, has taken offense with that. You know, guys who don't fight talking bad about fighters who go out there and put it all on the line – and then um, Palaquenta has also had um, issues with money as well. Apparently, he was only paid 25000 for that fight. He's been working as a real estate agent on the side to supplement his money. And that's why he said basically he, fought, he hasn't fought in two years because of that and that he was just in such good shape he wanted the competition. And that's why he signed to fight Diego under his old contract. But this is a guy who has said now that he will not fight again in the UFC without a new contract, and he believes that all these fighters should unionize. And, again, that's what boxing had to do a long time ago. It's something that the new ownership of the UFC is going to have to deal with because, if not, their brand is suffering. I mean, you saw the, you saw the tweet that I sent out quoting Frank Mir, and we talked to some people that have expressed the same thing. The new Reebok deal and the new ownership of the UFC, the company is not the same. It's becoming more corporate, and these fighters don't feel like they're part of a family anymore. They feel like kind of 
like they're just numbers on a page to some of these people. And I think that the UFC business could suffer if they don't do something quickly to stop this because this is only the beginning. Wait to start getting guys like John Jones and them saying the same thing. Yeah, this is something that we talked about last year uh, when we started the show back up. It's one thing I've been warning people about for a while, the fact that these aren't fighters or these aren't fight fans or promoters that are owning the UFC now. The Fertitas have gone. They actually, at least they had a hand in the fight game. Um, And, you know, we're Vegas bound. This is a corporate entity, and the biggest thing coming up is that Fox contract is – ends, I believe, at the end of this year, if I'm mm-hmm. correct. Yeah. And and they're already saying that they're not obviously the is not get a deal like they got before. They're going to have to I I would not be shocked if they end up on another network. Uh, if they end up leaving Fox, they're gonna end up having to take a pay cut. And if that's the case, then a lot of these fighters are gonna lose a lot more money. This the USC is in a bit of a tailspin right now and if they're not careful they're going to crash hard absolutely real quick because we've we got a short show tonight cub swanson artem loboff these guys threw down brag no no knockdowns no submission attempts no grappling 251 strikes to 134 and you get a unanimous decision win for Cub Swanson, but that's a lot of punches. That's 385 punches in a UFC fight. It was more like a boxing fight. Bragg, how, how fun was that to watch? Yeah, it was, it was a blast. Cub Swanson has quickly become one of my favorite fighters to watch. And my only knock on him is that he hasn't, he's not much of a finisher. He's um, in his last, let's see, one, two, three, four. Five wins, they've all come and be a unanimous decision. Um, his sixth win against Dennis Deaver was a TKO via punches. That was way back in 2013. So it's been four years since he has won with a finish. Um, very, very, very fun fighter to watch. Uh, Loboff brought it. He brought his end of the, held, in the, held up in his, his end of the bargain as well. Fantastic fight. Cub Swanson continues to roll. Um, with that, but with that being said, is Cub Swanson a guy that can contend for a title? I mean, he's in a featherweight division that, you know, you still got Jose Aldo there. Is is he a guy that you think could uh, contend? Could he beat a Max Holloway? Could he beat a Jose Aldo? Could he beat a Frankie Yeager? He hasn't done it yet. He's never beaten that top-tier guy. Uh, where do you think Cub Swanson goes from here? I think again he he's 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 put himself in the conversation to move up from gatekeeper journeyman status to now a guy who's maybe a win or two away from a title shot. I think he needs two wins and they gotta be against top a top ten opponent and then a top five opponent. So to me, you know, we'll have the ultimate fight show rankings for May out next week with our show, but um, it's looking like I'd like to see him maybe in there with uh, Dung Hum Kim. Maybe uh, I could see him throwing down with uh, Anthony Pettis, who said that, you know, he's ready for another fight at that weight. 
we uh, we saw that Renat uh, uh, Barrow is going to be moving down from 45 to 35 again. I was going to say that he could have been a guy that they could have fought at 45. All we know is that we want to see Cub Swanson in a meaningful fight and have him put together his best performance. Um, we're not going back I to think, the UFC. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I think a guy like uh, I know Ricardo Lamas, I was going to say him, but he's scheduled to fight Chan Sung Jung in July. Um, Frank Yeager uh, has a fight in a couple of weeks in May against Jair Rodriguez. Uh, maybe the winner of that fight is who Cub Swanson gets next, if somebody yeah, like be... Pettis doesn't come through. Yeah, I could see that happening. Uh, again, there's no UFC fights this weekend, so and there's actually nothing. We don't have anything until May 13th, but then we get my hometown hometown champ from Cleveland, but he's also the world champ, Stipe Miocic, in a rematch in Dallas against Junior Dos Santos in a fight that he lost, a very close split decision. I thought Stipe won, and I picked Junior Dos Santos that night. He'll get he'll get his revenge in Dallas, but this card is stacked, Brad. You got Joanna Jancasek defending her strawweight title against Jessica Andrade. It's going to be a great fight. Ben Rothwell against Fabricio Verdum. Damian Maya against uh, Masvidal. Frankie Edgar against Yal Rodriguez, as you just said. We got Sergio Pettis against Henry Cejudo at flyweight. Eddie Alvarez against Dustin Poirier. This, I mean, this card is stacked, Bragg. Yeah, the only um, negative I'll, I'll put on that uh, diatribe you just gave was uh, Rothwell actually pulled out of that fight due to a knee injury. So that fight is now off the card. I don't know if they'll be finding a replacement for him against Verdum. But, yeah, even without that, uh, a stat card, just an excellent, excellent uh, fight. That's going to be May 13th. Um, you know, you get, USC gets a few weeks off, and then they come back Mother's Day weekend. Uh, my anniversary weekend as well. Uh, so there that's going to go. be a, a big, big weekend for us. I'm um, looking forward to that show. Absolutely. And remember, keep this in mind. A win by Stipe Miocic puts him as the winningest heavyweight champion of all time. Nobody has ever made two defenses of the UFC heavyweight title. Stipe has beat over him with his first defense. This will be the second one. So history could be made. It's crazy that that is the real stat. That's unbelievable. You talk about the lineage of the heavyweight title in the UFC. The names are who's who. And the fact that nobody has defended it more than twice, it's just just ridiculous. Yeah, it just blows your mind. I mean, think about this. By by comparison, the man that we're about to talk to in the next segment defended his heavyweight title 18 times before Tyson Fury beat him, and that was the third longest reign ever. Joe Lewis, 25 defenses. That's never going to be beat in any sport. No. Not at all. All right, let's let, let, let's talk a little sweet science here at the Ultimate Fight Show. It's fight weekend, and it's the big guys. It's London, 90,000 people, Wembley Stadium, 
Vladimir Klitschko against Anthony Joshua for the heavyweight championship of the world, allegedly. It's a piece. It's for the WBA title, the one that Tyson Fury vacated. So just for those of you who want to keep everything straight and on the up and up, Tyson Fury is the lineal heavyweight champion of the world. He's the guy that beat the guy that beat the guy, going back to John L. Sullivan in 1897. However, DeAndre Wilder has a title. This is for another title. The IBF title is held by, I believe, Parker has it right now, Anthony Parker. And so, but this is the most meaningful fight in the heavyweight division in a long time because the man who lost the title, who I just talked about before, Vladimir Klitschko, third longest reign ever, 18 defenses spanning seven or spanning nine years, lost his title in a close decision to Tyson Fury. Take some time off. He's supposed to fight Fury again. Fury has a breakdown, gets busted for cocaine, goes to rehab, hasn't fought since. We heard from Al Bernstein when, we, when I interviewed him a couple months ago that Fury is supposed to be back in the fall in a meaningful fight. We hope that happens. We're, we're rooting for the guy. However, Anthony Joshua Vladimir Klitschko was signed. Fight had to be postponed because of an injury, but now everything's ready. And on Showtime, Saturday night, we're going to see it in the afternoon at 4.45 from London. But they will fight for the for Joshua's IBF title and for the WBA title. So that's what it is. Parker lost to Joshua. So now this is for two titles then. And then DeAndre right. Wilder has the other two. So, Bragg, we were going to have Al on the show. He had to catch a flight. He's over in London now. I was able to... Uh, text with him briefly and ask him what he thought the keys to this fight were going to be. And he told me that it's going to be Vladimir Klitschko's jab. If he's, if he can get it going early and take Joshua into deep waters, that that's his best chance to win. He said, Joshua, on the other hand, has to close the distance, get to Klitschko's body around that jab so that he can set up his huge hooks that could end the night. I'm asking you, Bragg, who do you like in this one, and how do you see it going down? Joshua is a two-to-one favorite for those gamblers out there who want the odds. What do you think, Bragg? Yeah, I don't know if Al Bernstein had my apartment wired or whatever when I was talking about this earlier, but uh, I, I agree with Al 100%. I think uh, Klitschko's biggest opportunity is going to come if he can survive the early but Anthony Joshua has Anthony Joshua rather has has dynamite hands. Uh, he's a guy that can put you to sleep without you know very very quickly. Uh, Klitschko's going to have to establish the jab, keep his distance. The key is, and we talked about this earlier, Joshua is going to be the bigger fighter. He's uh, which is something Klitschko is normally used to. Uh, but if Klitschko can get through the first part or first half of the fight establish his jab and drag him into deep waters and wear Anthony Joshua down I believe he could steal a decision here I, I really think he could uh, it's really just going to depend because you know we know the Klitschko brothers they're they're so good they're so smart uh, I don't think they get enough credit for their boxing IQ uh, as they like to say but um, officially I thought about this last week. 
I really, in my gut, I feel like Vladimir Klitschko was going to outlast Anthony Joshua and regain the heavyweight title uh, in a, a close unanimous decision victory. And and that's and that's an opinion that I think a lot of people in the sport like us are, would have. I'm going to go the other way, and I'm going to tell you why. Anthony Joshua is younger. He's 28 to Vladimir's 40. You said it before. Joshua's going to be the bigger man. He's 6'7 compared to Klitschko's 6'6. Six, six. The difference is, is that Joshua's got an 83-inch reach. Klitschko's is 80. So he's not going to have he, – he's not going to enjoy that – that height and reach advantage that he has enjoyed on so many other opponents. And in his last fight, coincidentally, Tyson Fury had the reach and height advantage and it threw off everything that Vladimir did. And he put out one of the worst fights that he's had in a decade, whether or not he can learn from that. Maybe he can, like you said, he's one of the smartest fighters that's ever got in the ring, but here's the other thing that's really Really uh, interesting, and I didn't even think about this because when do you think about what I'm allowed to say? Joshua was Vladimir Klitschko's sparring partner for four years. That means he saw this guy all the time. He got him ready for fights. I just think that that inside knowledge, he knows what he – I think he's going to have a little bit more of an advantage than most people who fight Klitschko have. And I don't think he's going to be afraid of him again because he's undefeated and he's never lost. And we've talked about it for years on the show. When you've never been broken in the ring, it doesn't matter what anyone else says because only two of you get in there. And you're not going to be defeated and you're not mentally broken because no one's ever done it. It's part of what gives Floyd his era of invincibility. Joshua's going to carry that into the ring. And he knows that his, one of his English counterparts, Tyson Fury, beat him in his last fight. So not only does he have to represent himself, but he's got to represent his nation and keep, keep going what they've done. Think about this. Lennox Lewis was from London. Then Vitaly Klitschko took Lewis, gave him everything he could. Lewis retired. Vitaly became the champion. Vitaly retires. Vladimir takes over, becomes a great champion. He loses to an Englishman, Tyson Fury. And now he's fighting another Englishman. So we've had three of our last five heavyweight champions have come from London. I think Anthony Joshua gets the job done. I think Klitschko is going to look better, and I think he's going to make people think he's going to do this. But I think somewhere along, I'm going to say round, I think round four or five, I think he's going to get hit with a big punch. And it's not going to be a one punch. It's going to be a combo. And if I think Vladimir goes down. I think he gets back up and maybe he holds on and goes the distance. But I see Anthony Joshua stopping Vladimir Klitschko in the seventh round in London Saturday afternoon. Uh, that would be big. That would be huge. And I'm gonna I I'm gonna take it a step further. I'll take it a step further. I don't think Klitschko ever beats again after. You know, you, you're probably right. If Klitschko isn't able to uh, uh, win this fight, he probably steps away and uh, goes into retirement. But, yeah, it's it could very well happen. It's going to be a good fight, and that's why they step into the ring and uh, fight it out in the ring because we could talk about it all, all night long. 
uh, give yeah. our predictions and our uh, opinions. But ultimately, it's going to come down to the two guys in the ring, and I'm looking forward to it. The, as we always used to say, the world used to stop for the heavyweight fights. Heavyweight title fights used to be the biggest sporting events around. Um, yeah. And, and it's a shame, and it's an unfortunate the heavyweight title isn't what it used to be. Uh, but I will say this. This is getting a lot of publicity, and I really am excited for this fight. I've talked to some people who are, you know, casual boxing fans who are talking about this fight and have come up asking me about it. So it's, gonna get, it's getting some mainstream buzz. So a classic fight or a dominating performance by Joshua – uh, could go a long way to reestablishing the heavyweight title um, as the marquee belt in the world. Absolutely. And uh, it has been confirmed by Dan Raphael from ESPN 11 hours ago that DeAndre, DeAndre Wilder will fight the winner of Joshua Klitschko in sometime before the end of the year. Stakes just so, got raised. Yeah, they did. And I mean, this is a this is the. I'll tell you right now, if Anthony Joshua knocks out Vladimir Klitschko, the whole world's going to stop and pay attention to it. And then you throw in DeAndre, DeAndre Wilder, who's just as big, just as young, in his prime. Both you, you would have two undefeated champions in their prime meeting for the heavyweight title. It hasn't happened since Michael Spinks and Mike Tyson in 1988. And not to mention Deontay Wilder, he is from the United States. He's an American. He's a guy that the United States can get behind and rally around. Absolutely. We haven't had we haven't had a heavyweight contender in a long, long time. Uh, Deontay Wilder could be and probably is going to be that guy. So very, very exciting news. My, my wife doesn't really fuck. No, she likes the fight sports, but she doesn't like sports really at all. And she even stops and watches when DeAndre Wilder fights because the guy is exciting and he's a physical specimen. I mean, he's a huge guy, 6'7", 230 with maybe 5% body fat and 85-inch arms reach. I mean, this would be a huge – this really would be the first true super heavyweight fight. Yeah, it, it it really is, and you know, my my boxing heart at this point is almost going to be rooting for Anthony Joshua in this fight. Yeah. I don't think I'll be rooting for anybody, but having Anthony jo- Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder um, have that fight and meet toward the end of the year, that that could wow. that that's big. That is that is. Big. <laughs> Greg, I'm going to blow your mind with and take it a step further. So let's say Joshua beats Klitschko like I think. Then you get Wilder and Joshua, and then the winner of that fights Tyson Fury, who's also undefeated and never lost his title to any man. It's a great story. It, it, it is, is a great story, and it's, it's, one, it's an easy one to write. It's an easy one to sell. I think that's uh, boxing promoters are salivating right now at that op- at that opportunity. Yeah, and I'm I'm excited to cover it. All right, we talked that that's basically our show. But since we got about eight minutes left, I'm going to go over 
the box, the upcoming boxing schedule brag is really going to start getting excited. Next weekend, we got Cinco de Mayo, HBO pay-per-view from Vegas. Canelo Alvarez puts his middleweight title on the line at a catch weight of 165 pounds to take on Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. I don't know how the Mexicans are going to be able to handle this. You have the son of a legend <laughs> against the current favorite son of Mexico and their best fighter. Two great – this is going to be a great matchup. And the pay-per-view is actually pretty good. Lucas Matisse is going to fight Emmanuel Taylor in a welterweight fight at 147. Matisse is going to make his debut at welterweight. And then you have David Lemieux, who got knocked out by Triple G, but then came back and knocked out um, – who did he just knock out that uh, – Steve uh, – oh, God. Tough, tough, strong guy. Oh, Curtis Stevens. Uh, he knocked him out yeah. cold, and now he gets Marco Reyes in a middleweight fight. And if the stakes didn't get bigger, Triple G will be ringside at Canelo Chavez <laughs> and has postponed his June fight. He's supposed to fight in June. He has postponed it and said he will not fight anyone but the winner of Canelo and Chavez. Nice. Nice. That's you know, you're talking about how, you know, that those top three fights, it's a stacked card. One thing I love that boxing is doing, and they're doing a much better job of it the last few years, is really putting together big, big cards from top to bottom. You would used to pay $65, $70 for a main event fight and a couple of young up-and-coming fighters. Uh, you know, we go at it. I think I think this is a good example of a solid pay-per-view card from top to bottom. You're going to get your money's worth out of this one, folks. Uh, t- no doubt about it. And then, as you said, Triple G is going to be in attendance. Yeah, th- this is getting good. Yeah. And then a week later, probably not real exciting to, you know, everybody, but it is to me, especially with crossover, with, with our show being a boxing MMA, James lights out Tony steps back into the ring in Michigan against Mike Shepard um, and, and K-9 Bundridge all on the same card. So that's like a, that's like the geriatric card that's going to be in Michigan <laughs> down the road. But Roy Jones you know, Jr. Talk- isn't on that card either, is he? No, <laughs> he's not. And, hey, and neither is David Hay. So <laughs> <laughs> So, I think he, right. I think he had a grown toenail or something. He, well, yeah, I mean, I, he had his foot amputated. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now, on a different note, a week after that, HBO New York, we get the real fighters, Terrence Crawford against Felix Diaz for, the, for both the Crawford's junior welterweight titles. And I've been told this could be Crawford's last fight at junior welterweight and that he might be moving up to welterweight which I can't even my my head's starting to hurt with how many great fights could be waiting for him there Keith Thurman Garcia Matisse maybe Floyd who knows you got Gary Russell fighting on that car and Kel well Kel Brooks got a fight with um Spence coming up I'm going to look for the date right now but that's going to be fantastic right May 27th, it's the next weekend on Showtime. Kell Brook, Errol Spence, and then George Groves against Fedor Chadunov. Uh, Orlando Salido is going to be in action. So basically every single week 
for the next three months in boxing. June 3rd, then we get Adonis Stevenson against Andres Fanfara for the lineal light heavyweight champion. And then two weeks later, HBO pay-per-view, Andre Ward, Sergey Kovalov, the rematch of the fight of the year and the most controversial fight of the year. And on the undercard, we get Guillermo Rigondeaux back in action against Moses Flores at junior featherweight. That's just, it's just so big, Bragg. I can't wait to see that fight. I can't wait to see what kind of adjustments uh, Kovalov made him and his camp. And is Andre Ward going to make it look it, now that he's taken the test and knows what he had to do and won a close fight, does he make it look easier in the next fight? Yeah, I, so just, he, that's something we're, we're going to definitely break that down um, more in depth later on. But, yeah, that's you know, a great fight last fall. It's going to be a great fight again. Just like you said, you just broke down this next month and a half in the boxing world. It, I, I said it at the beginning of the show, it's a great time to jump aboard. It's <laughs> – it's just warming up. Absolutely. And then the, this is the only fight that we have confirmed for the fall so far. But for some reason, Shane Mosley is going to be fighting in Russia on September 9th at junior middleweight against Magomed Kurbaninov. So that's not the fight that I thought everyone, everyone was probably thinking I was going to be like Conor McGregor against Floyd Mayweather. But no, oh, we'll have to wait. I was hoping we'd get through the whole show without mentioning that fight. <laughs> yeah, I know. I hey, we were two minutes. We 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 went through an hour without it, but yeah. uh, that fight looks like it's. Um, from what I hear now, my new sources told me that Dana White has pretty much ironed out the Conor McGregor side of the fight. I heard numbers that Conor's probably going to make fifty million to seventy-five with the pay-per-view. Now Dana White says that he's going to go lock himself in a room with the Floyd Mayweather people for a week and see if they can get Floyd's numbers down or see what he needs. But it looks like this fight is going to happen. We just will, we'll, when we know, you'll know. Um, so keep, keep uh, posted for that. And again, the triple G, triple G fighting winner, Canelo Chavez is being in the fall. So hopefully Boy won't find it no excuse to not make that fight happen. Greg, anything you want to comment on? We got about 90 seconds before we get out of here. Yeah, man, it's just, it's just great to hear from you again and to get back on the air. We had a lot of stuff to talk about and a lot of great stuff coming up, man. Really excited, looking forward to it. I need to get with you within the next few weeks. I want to get you on an episode of Brag Out Loud. I got a few topic ideas I want to go over with you. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. But uh, uh, it's really good talking to you, man. And we are – I'm pumped, man. I'm excited. It's going to be a huge, huge spring and summer in the world of fighting. Absolutely. And, again, that's brag out loud. I'm going to be on there. You're going to be listening. We will keep you posted. Stay on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I don't know if you've noticed, but I my, my pug, Dolly the Black Pug, I'm challenging Doug the Pug to a street fight. For cutest pug in America, so keep posting and following that on Instagram. For for the brag man, I'm your host LC saying thanks for stopping by for another edition of the Ultimate Fight Show. Good night. Are you ready? ready?